Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to Bears Over Beards. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron. I'm joined on the other line by not one, but two Bears writers, our own EJ Snyder, our lead draft analyst, and the Bears blog's Jonathan Wood. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Really, really well. Super excited for this. Been on pods with Jay Wood before, and uh, extremely happy that we get him on Bears Over Beards. Always a great time. Yeah, also doing well. Really happy to be here. Excited to talk some football with you guys. The offseason is finally almost over, and I am ready for some football. Well, I woke up this morning, and I was incredibly excited to be able to talk stats with the stat guy from the, the Bears blog, so I'm really excited about this. And Jonathan, you know that on Bears Over Beers, we drink a beer, and I have heard that you are a shandy guy. Uh, did you bring a shandy to Bears Over Beers today? I did. I am sitting here enjoying my Kugel's Summer Shandy. Uh, get that little bit of lemonade in there. It's nice and refreshing. All right. Well, my beer is inspired by you drinking a Shandy because we wanted to show you that there are actually beers out there that can replicate some of those flavors and not just have to add lemonade into a beer to make it taste like that. And so I'm actually featuring a beer uh, out of Tampa, and it's from Cigar City Brewing. I've been there. It's really good. Um, This is called Invasion Tropical Pale Ale, and it was a gift from my friend who works for the state of Florida. Her name's Erin. She's a big Bucks fan. We won't hold that against her because she gave me a really good beer. Um, But this is uh, a beer that they brew in honor of the annual Gasparilla uh, festival that they have where everybody dresses up as a pirate. Um, I ran in the half marathon uh, in Tampa for the Gasparilla half marathon last year. Really fun time. It is a, a pale ale with tropical notes of mango and tangerine. So this is a Bears Over Beers first, that I'm not drinking something that I could use a spoon for. It's a pale ale. So, Jonathan, you have inspired me to, to expand my horizons. This is a wild departure for Bears Over Beers regulars. Uh, Jeff not drinking something that com- the color of motor oil is, is shocking and, and welcome. But uh, I've got a cougar. Kolsch uh, from Paradise Creek Brewery, and we've got a couple of couple of tie-ins, actually three tie-ins today. Uh, first off, Kolsch being a summer beer, and it's summer, uh, a German beer, and uh, Germans love their mathematics, and so does our guest. So, and the last one is kind of sneaky. Uh, Paradise Creek Brewery is in Pullman, Washington, home of Washington State University. And the NFL supplemental draft was this week. And the only player selected was a Cougar by the Cardinals in the fifth round. Safety, Jalen Thompson. So, the Cougar Colch is my beer of choice for today. Let's get him going. Always the best part of the podcast. Well, I mean... Except for the part where we drink it. I was it. say the drinking part is 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 great, but the bears the bears chatter is my favorite part of it. Um, oh. I'm not going to lie there. You know, my I'm looking at my notes, and the first thing that I have is fun with numbers, which is not necessarily something that everybody thinks, but I think you guys are going to enjoy today's episode because what we have planned is we're going to go through some statistics that the three of us think are important as Bears fans to keep an eye on. And then we're also going to talk about some team records. And the the first statistic that I want to talk about is toxic differential. And this is something that I wrote an article about last year and I've kept track of throughout the 2018 season. And I think it's a pretty interesting statistic. And basically what toxic differential is, if you're not familiar with it, 
It's the number of explosive plays that you generate on offense, and you add that to the number of takeaways that your defense creates. You subtract the number of explosive plays your defense gives up, and you subtract the number of giveaways that your offense uh, gives away the ball. And so you, you get this number uh, that gives a pretty good indication of, of how well your team is playing overall. You, your offense may be uh, creating a lot of explosive plays, but if they're giving the ball away or if your defense has given up just as many explosive plays, as a team you're not doing very well. And I'll say that the Bears were incredibly good at the takeaways part of this uh, last year, obviously leading the league in, in uh, takeaways. Their defense was fantastic. They also did a really good job of limiting those explosive plays. On the offensive side, I think there's a lot of room to grow. Uh, maybe Trubisky can cut down on some of the interceptions. Uh, there was a couple guys that were a little loose with the football. Tariq Cohen, I think, kind of comes to mind as a guy that put the ball on the ground a few times. And just not generating the amount of explosive plays that they need to to become a top offense. Jonathan, I know you've done a lot of work on explosive plays as well. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of that statistic in terms of toxic differential? And what do you think of the Bears' prospects of doing better in 2019 than they did in 2018? Yeah, um, I actually have done very similar work for an article that's coming out um, on the Bears' blog in a couple of weeks uh, the only difference is I added in sacks as well for explosive plays for the defense because those are often drive killers because um, they come on third down a uh, disproportionate amount of the time. Um, and yeah, the Bears were second in the NFL in that differential last year. But if you look only on the offensive side at uh, producing explosive plays, they were not as good, somewhere around like 20th. And um, there's a really strong correlation between getting those explosive plays and scoring points for an offense. So if they want to take the next step on offense, they need to produce more of those big plays. And I think they're pretty well set up to do it this year because um, I looked earlier this offseason at like which individual players on their team produced those plays, and they were all kind of average or better out of all their main guys last year besides one guy who's no longer a bear, which is Jordan Howard, who ate up a ton of touches and was one of the least explosive players in the NFL. Now, so let's talk about the difference between Montgomery and Howard, then let's start there. Are you saying you think Montgomery is going to be a more explosive, a, a source of more explosive plays than Howard is? And, and what gives you that feeling? I mean, it would be hard to be a source of fewer explosive plays. <laughs> Howard had True. 10 of them total in like 276 touches last Ouch. year, which was, yeah, just awful. Like Tariq Cohen had like double that in like 100 fewer touches. Um, and yeah, I'm actually, this is one of the reasons I'm really happy they got Montgomery because Mike Davis was also really not explosive. He was actually a little less explosive than Howard in Seattle last year. So my hope is he kind of falls into like a short yardage uh, role because he was really good at that, um, like converting, uh, the, just moving the chains. But Montgomery, I don't know, because normally you think explosive plays, you think like speed, and he doesn't have great speed. Um, he had very few like 40-plus yard runs in college, but he had one of the highest rates of 10-plus yard runs in college. So the hope there is that he can produce a bunch of like those, you know, 15 to 20-yard gains, um, even if, you know, he's not going to be like, Chris Johnson breaking off 80, 90 yarders all over the place. Right. I, I think, well, one thing we should probably define what an explosive play is. And and it's actually not as easy as it sounds because there are a couple different sites that have tracked it for just the last couple of years, and they don't agree on the yardage of what an explosive play is. And I think I, I had been tracking it the way that I had read it from Brian Billick, I believe, who... Uh, came up with the toxic differential and he uses 25 yard pass plays and 10 yard runs what were you tracking and you know maybe we should just the two of us should agree here right now going forward to track uh so that we're both on the same page and that we can make sure that we're giving the same information out to bears fans uh i was tracking it using the standard set by uh, ESPN NFL matchup, which is where I first kind of ran into this last year during the season. And they do 15-yard runs or 20-yard passes. So both of those are different, which is really annoying. Yeah, and it's just <laughs> it's so hard to find the, it's just a consistent data set. And yeah, yeah that, that's been frustrating. So, well, I, I'm, I'm okay with using that, especially if, if it's on ESPN like that. 
I I have uh, a, a belief that Allen Robinson's going to have a huge year, and part of that is that he's going to be able to be a, a big source of explosive plays. And I think we saw that a little bit in the playoff game and a little bit down the stretch where they started to really develop a rapport. Uh, Trubisky and Robinson uh, seemed to really get in uh, rhythm together. Are, are you in the same boat as I am, uh, the two of you? Do you, think, do you see the same thing for Robinson being kind of the guy that leads in explosive plays in the wide receiver core? He's certainly the guy that is physically able, and I think that's that's dual-sided. That's not just his physical dimensions and his abilities that we saw before he became a bear, but it's also his second year removed from the knee injury. So we're, we're going to see if he follows a very typical form that last year, yes, he could perform, but he really lacked that top-end explosiveness and that punch. And we're going to see that return fully or should see that return fully to his game. And if we do... Uh, absolutely in agreement with you that he's he's primed to be that guy for the bears yeah i agree and actually he already was last year he produced the the highest rate of explosive plays on about uh, just under 12 percent of his targets last year compared to about nine percent for the team as a whole uh, the only other guy who was really close who i also think will be a big part of it this year uh, is anthony miller who was at around 11% and also had a number of deep plays where he was wide open, but Trubisky missed him. Um, That's another thing that's probably worth mentioning here. We're talking about explosive plays was uh, Trubisky really struggled throwing the ball deep last year. Um, His completion percentage there was some of the worst in the NFL. Um, That's something he really needs to improve on this year. And if he does, that will also really help the Bears produce more explosive plays. Now, EJ and I are planning on doing an entire episode on Trubisky, and we we talked about this. It's the last position for all of our – we've done every single position uh, on the roster, I guess with the exception of maybe the specialists. Uh, but we, we've been saving Trubisky for last, and we talked about it. And we're we're going to go to camp and we're going to watch him before we do the do the full Trubisky episode. But that is, a, that is the – biggest hole in his game last year was that deep completion percentage and we can get into it later ej but did you see anything that jumped out to you as a as a film guy that was that could maybe explain why those deep balls weren't connecting is it a uh we just need more rhythm in the offense uh, more timing more work and that'll come or was there something wrong with his footwork uh, mechanics something did you see anything yeah there were quite a few things and the funny thing about the farther you go in the passing game is the greater it magnifies the smaller flaws it's kind of like going up a ship's mast right at the, at the deck it might might only move a foot or two but 50 or 60 feet up in the air it's moving 20 or 30 feet back and forth um, so if you make a small mistake in your footwork your delivery your mechanics your timing or your targeting and that ball's going 30 or 40 yards in the air, it's got a lot more chance to deviate from what's catchable or what's good. So little mistakes he made early in the season got magnified. And early in the season, we saw he wasn't comfortable in the offense. He was absolutely rushing, whether that's a case of not being used to the new cast or not being used to the new offense. I think that's probably both. Um, We saw, I think, both of those things decline as the year went on, but he still had trouble with that deep ball. And more than anything, he rushed a little bit on his set, and he would extend his stride, and that adds to a little bit more rock in your throwing motion as you're getting forward onto that front foot, and the ball sailed on him. So if he can keep that stride nice and compact, which is what a player tends to do when he's more comfortable, his footwork is usually more managed, and his base is usually more settled. If you watch the first uh, three games for sure, but even into the fourth game, I would say that most people would say Trubisky's base was anything except settled. Um, it settled down more through the year, but it still was a little bit long. If he can keep that more compact, which I fully expect with more command of the offense and more familiarity with his players, uh, you know, his running mates, I think we'll see a little bit less of that. He's never been a tremendously good deep passer. He hit plenty of deep passes at college, but, um, that's never been his strength. That short to really strong medium range is always where he's excelled. So it's the room he's got the, it's the place he's got the most room for growth. Um, but as long as he keeps that stride short and stays comfortable, I think we'll see a lot less of those near misses. Well, Jonathan, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I kept seeing 
Trubisky was incredibly good early in games with all the scripted plays, so things that you would assume that he's very comfortable with because he knew what was going to be called going into the game. So Nagy has you know, 10, 15, 20 plays scripted out at the beginning of a game. He knows what's going to happen. He understands the order. He can mentally prepare for all those. And then I just saw a stat that said Trubisky's quarterback rating late in games and crunch time was incredibly high. And so... You know, we're talking about this middle ground between the scripted plays and when he can just make plays instinctually in the pressure zone and he's uh, maybe forced to think less and react more. Is there something to that um, that you've seen in his uh, – if, if, have you broken it down by quarters and seen uh, a difference? And is that something that, uh, you know, is, is reason to be optimistic for Bears fans that eventually he'll – get more comfortable in the offense and extend that early and late success so that there are no holes in his game. Um, I was tracking that early in the year last year, and that uh, narrative was certainly true with like the starting hot and then really cooling off as he got to stuff he was less familiar with. I think um, that kind of got shot to hell in the Tampa game when he was just like really good the whole game. And I stopped tracking it like halfway through the year because after that game, it was no real distinguishable pattern. Sometimes he would start cold and heat up. Sometimes he would start hot and cool down. He was just really inconsistent without any real clear trends that I noticed in terms of that. I know I've, I've seen stats floating around like the one you mentioned. He was pretty good in crunch time late in close games. We all remember the Eagles game. Um, he did some good things also like late um, against New England, Miami, um, other close games that they were involved in, um, which there weren't a ton of last year, so that's a pretty small sample size. I've also seen that he was pretty good on third downs, so I think those two stats kind of stepping up when you know the pressure is on give me some optimism, but really he was just really inconsistent overall. You see the flashes, but he's got to make that more consistent. Yeah, I've, I've just bought Game Pass and, again, and have watched, I think, four games from last year, just reminding myself of what he looked like. And I was just picking some random games, and, and there'd just be these throws where he was just, just sailing or he'd just miss a guy, and then he'd come back with a beautiful throw. And so there doesn't seem to be a memory. You know, he's, he's got the short memory, so that's good. Uh, but you're just not seeing the consistency yet. And, and you know, maybe that'll come. I, I, I do want to ask you do you think that there is a particularly important stat that we should be tracking for trubisky in year three? Oh, a stat for trubisky that's a good question i would probably say look at the deep balls um, he was really really good on like short to medium stuff last year statistically and um statistically that stuff carries over year to year more with quarterbacks the deep ball tends to be a lot more variable so if he can step that up, he has a chance to really step up as one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Do you subscribe to the you know adjusted net yards per attempt as like the be-all, end-all for quarterbacks when you're evaluating across quarterbacks? Or is there a stat for quarterbacks that you, you really go to and be like, I really like to see a higher number here? Oh, I try to avoid just using one stat for anything because that is really dangerous. I don't think there's any one stat for any player or position that's the be all and end all so i'm gonna shy away from that sorry that's, that's probably the right answer no, that's fine i i actually really appreciate that answer because it's important for the folks listening to know and, and fans in general that there isn't a silver bullet for most things um i find the same thing in my work it's not as stat based in fact stats are less important in my work but people say oh Everybody's always looking for that one thing. Oh, three cone for an edge is the is the end all be all stat. No, no, it's not. Tape is tape is the end all be all, and it's a mix of of a great many things. So, I think that's a great answer and a very truthful answer to say no. There's not one thing. It's a combination thing. It's a it's a series of trends. It's it's up and down, you know. But we're looking for general improvement in X X and X, and if we see that, that indicates to me that you know, generally we're going to be seeing a better product on the field. And it's always nice when that matches up with tape. But I think that's a great answer. And there's one more thing I wanted to toss in, uh, Jeff, that is that we have to consider here, which is Nagy as a first year head coach and play caller. Um, 
is part of this equation. You know, he's one half or, or slightly more even because he was leading Trubisky. He knew and Trubisky was following, right? And his play calling, uh, especially in that middle section, that doldrum section we were talking about in the early part of the year, the first half of the year was not terribly inspiring. He was the same as Trubisky in the fact that he hit some runs and had some amazing play calls. uh, And he hit some places where he kind of got off track or got away from the run or um, looked like he scrambled things a little bit too much or introduced a little bit too much. And that was the learning thing for the coach. And we talk about the player a lot, but in this case, we know that head coach to quarterback relationship, especially with Nagy and Trubisky is, is really, really important. And, and Nagy will be better too, right? He learned from those mistakes as well. So we're going to be seeing sort of hopefully improvement across the board and it's important to consider in that particular like why was Trubisky the way he was conversation yeah 100 percent, and that's that's a that's a really good uh point and it's a really hard thing to evaluate because there's not a lot of stats in terms for play callers to evaluate so um but but absolutely and you see that and and he's just going to get better coach of the year yes absolutely but he's going to be a better head coach as we move along and I wanted to make a point, like when I was tracking takeaways uh, or turnover differential, actually, and I was charting that, it it was somewhat predictive of record, but it's not perfectly predictive. There are still teams that did excellent in turnover differential and made and missed the playoffs, and there's teams that were terrible in turnover differential and somehow won enough games to make the playoffs generally you want that to be a positive number and you know we get into standard deviations once you're a standard deviation or two above the the mean then you're starting to see it be a little bit more predictive that's we don't want to get into too much nerdy stat talk but you know that article did did go down that road and it did show a little bit more prediction there but even that stat which is sort of the traditional be all end all team stat wasn't perfectly predictive so there is nothing perfectly predictive in quarterback stats regardless of anybody that wants to tell you even quarterback rating or QBR for ESPN or anything like that so well let's move away from Trubisky I've I, I really want Jonathan to highlight his work in highlighting Kyle Long's importance to this offensive line and the difference that he makes when he's on the field not just in the run game but also in the pass game yeah so Last year was a little weird with the Bears' offensive line because like, James Daniels didn't start out the year as a starter, and right as he started to work in, Long got hurt. So we didn't see their actual like starting offensive line together all that much. Um, and I pulled some lineup data from the NFL site this offseason just to check at, like how the offense did with different offensive line combinations. And let me pull up those numbers real quick. I've got them somewhere. Here we are. I was absolutely blown away when I found this. So they did, had about 200 uh, snaps last year with their starting offensive line for this year on the field. So Long and Daniels at guard, and then obviously Whitehair, Leno, and uh, Massey. In those 200 snaps, um, which were spread across about five games, they averaged 8.5 yards per pass and 5.2 yards per run. Now to put that in perspective... The highest average for any team for the entire season last year was 8.1 yards per pass um, and 5.1 for the run. So in those 200 snaps, the Bears were performing like one of the best offenses in the NFL. And when any one of those five guys was off the field, they dropped by about two yards per pass and one yard per run. So that really tells me this offensive line has the chance to be really, really good and that could help the offense be really, really good. Although again, I should note, that's a small sample size. It's about three games worth of plays. So it's not like, ooh, the Bears are going to have the best offense in the NFL. But their offense was much better with that unit on the field, and that bodes well. So when was Daniels' first start, and when did Long get hurt? Do you remember? They started working Daniels in in the Tampa Bay game, but he was like splitting time with Cush then, I think it was. Because that was the other thing, was like Cush and Whitman switched places midseason too. I forget when exactly Kyle Long got hurt. I'd have to look that up. Well, I'm just thinking like that, if it, that Tampa game is such an outlier for a lot of reasons. And if that pushed into the stats, that might have pushed those, those data into a, a little bit more of a skew. Um, That's, 
Yeah, that was something I looked at too. I have stats for that. Um, only 15 snaps did they have. So out of the 189 snaps, only 15 of them were against Tampa. Um, 64 against the Jets, 44 against the Patriots, 39 against the Dolphins, and 29 against the Vikings in Week 17. Wood, I'm totally getting you a shirt that says, I have stats for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's flip to the other side of the ball. And, and Jonathan, I, I have a question for you. Sacks are the be-all, end-all, of course. Everybody likes to talk about sack numbers, and we'll get into that a little bit when we talk about Khalil Mack. But I, I'm curious if you have uh, a preference in tracking sacks or quarterback hits or pressures, and if you see um, pressures or hits just as valuable as, or maybe not just as valuable as sacks, but if those those stats are important to track to understand a player's impact and also the defense's impact in terms of getting off the field. Yeah, my issue with pressure is that it feels somewhat subjective because, right, you look at sacks and it doesn't matter if you're looking at ESPN or NFL, like wherever, that's an official stat because it, like, you got a sack or you didn't. If you look at pressures, like, different people credit them with different amounts of pressures because it is up to your call of whether to consider it a pressure or not. And so I feel like that gives it some ambiguity as a stat that makes it hard to compare players against each other with that so i haven't paid a ton of attention to pressures in the past what about uh what about in the secondary are you is it like you know uh, average yards per throw against or pass breakups or is there anything in to evaluate corners and safeties that you like again i think these are these are positions that can be pretty hard to quantify statistically um i've done some work looking at like average yards per target like when, when you throw at this cornerback, he gives up seven yards versus that one gives up eight or whatever. Um, but even that can be murky because, again, like I've looked at that at PFF or at the Quant Edge, and their numbers aren't exactly the same because it's, you know, well, was that player targeted? Not really. Maybe closest one in coverage. Who knows? Um, I think all of those things can be useful, but Again, just like with any stat like we talked about earlier, you don't want to pick just one number like that and base your entire evaluation on it. If it's part of a bigger picture, great. You know, it, just the easy way to tell who is targeted is the guy that gets up first and, and moves his hands from side to side saying it's incomplete. <laughs> that was clearly the guy that was in coverage. It's the guy that celebrates the, the most and the, the quickest. Yeah, but what about if it's a completion and nobody is celebrating? Sometimes they're, they're, they're all pointing, no, that was your fault. That was your fault, not mine. <laughs> Yeah, the the finger pointing, the first finger pointer. I was watching the Bears-Packers game, because, you know, the, the second one uh, from last year, and like Tariq Cohen caught a pass, ran for a first down, and got kind of a decent hit from a Packers secondary player, and the guy started celebrating. It was yep. like a 14-yard pass, and he's mm -hmm. getting up, and he's he's – He's uh, flexing his arms, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> we just had a big play, and, and, you're, and you're celebrating. So, I don't know. They seem to celebrate the most random things. Oh, come on. I've seen you celebrate opening a beer, so cast no stones. Hey, anytime you get a new brewery, it's always good to celebrate. All right, I, that's enough uh, with just the general statistics. I want to talk about team records, and I want to specifically talk about team records that – we think might fall this year or maybe things to keep in mind over the next couple years. And so I'm going to start off with the easy one, and that is the single-season passing yards and passing touchdown records. Uh, for those of you that are unaware, I'll give you a second to think in your mind who you think owns the single-season yardage and passing uh, touchdown records. Some of you are thinking Jay Cutler. I understand that. You are wrong. Some of you are thinking Sid Luckman because he's the answer to most quarterback questions. You are also wrong. The answer is Eric Kramer's 1995 season, 3,838 yards and 29 touchdowns. Not a bad year in 1995. Incredibly sad that that has not been broken by any Bears quarterback since then. So I think that Trubisky has an excellent chance with 16 healthy starts to shatter this record of both the yards and the touchdowns. And I'm going to call 4,200 yards, and I'm going to say he's going to get at least 32 touchdowns. Where are you guys at? 
Well, I was on a, a radio spot earlier this week. Uh, I was on Sean Maya in the morning, um, Chicago radio show, and I was talking to Sean about this. And uh, my prediction, he made me uh, put up what I thought um, Trubisky's numbers were going to be sort of in a vacuum. And, and I said, 42, 4,300 yards pretty easily. And I said, mid-30s for touchdowns. So 30. 36 38 anywhere it seems pretty reasonable i don't think it'll go over 40 and uh, i just threw in interceptions as as maybe 10 to 13 but i would say for yards i'd be pretty comfortable with 4300 touchdowns right in the mid 30s yeah i've been kind of in that same ballpark somewhere around like 4200 4300 have been the most common numbers i have 30 ish touchdowns um, just say though like how pathetic 3,800 yards is for a team record. There were 15 NFL quarterbacks that broke that last year, including Case Keenum, and that's the Bears franchise record. Like, come on. Yeah. Well, be- you're not going to have to worry about it for more than the next year. <laughs> As, yeah, I, I bet. Now, here's a question for both of you guys. Totally impromptu. So, worst case scenario, knocking on wood very loudly, Trubisky gets hurt early, weak, one or two, say say quarter two of week two. Chase Daniel comes in. Does Chase Daniel break the record? Um, I would say no. I, I think really, he, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't think he's good enough to. I think this offense is productive for someone that knows how to run it, but I don't think he showed enough to me to be able to have enough of those big games that you're going to need to go over 4,000 yards. I think he, I don't think he would. I think he'd get 3,500. Okay. I'll, I mean, I'll buy that. But, again, I, I throw up Case Keenum <laughs> from last season as evidence. Yeah, and this is a – is Chase Daniel Case Keenum or better? And, you know, the answer I think is maybe, which both speaks to Jonathan's point of it's a crappy record. And as an Aggie disciple who knows what he's doing with a – a really strong supporting cast there's at least a chance and that's ridiculous in itself yeah my gut reaction to that is to say no too just because i feel like the bears would try to do like what they did late last year with trubisky and just kind of win with defense and have the quarterback be a caretaker but it is worth pointing out that granted very small sample size but keenum had over 500 yards in his two starts last year which over a 16-game pace would be just over 4,000 yards for the season. Keenum slings it. I mean, I mean, he slings it. Now he th- turns the ball over a lot, but he <laughs> but he likes to sling it. So he's not afraid. He throws it to somebody. No, I mean, I'm just saying he's 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 like, hey, here's my shot, and I go for it. So uh, yeah, I don't know. All right, I, I got another one for you guys, um, and I, it would be amazing if Trubisky broke this, but. Career 300-yard passing games. Or, or, uh, well, there's two. Uh, two of these. 300-yard passing games in a single season. Team record is four, which also I think is really pathetic. Um, that is owned by Trubisky last year, Cutler in 2014, and Bill Wade in 1962. And I have in all caps, this one is getting broken this year. Like, this one is absolutely going to get shattered. Trubisky's going to have at least five 300-yard games and hopefully more. But I think the bigger question is, what's the at what point does he break the career record for 300-yard games? Uh, he has five right now. Cutler has 16. Now, if he breaks it this year, that's an incredible year. <laughs> if he breaks it next year, that's fine. That's on pace. So where do you guys think uh, Trubisky is going to break this uh, most 300-yard passing games record? How many do you think he'll get this year? And where do you see him breaking the career record? All right, Wood, hit it. Uh, sure, I'll go with five this year just to say he gets the record. And I'll say sometime in the 2021 season for the career 16. 2021. Should be like, so sometime midseason there. So like, you know, gets about five every year would put him somewhere in 2021. Oh, man, we're going to, we're going to, no, I, I, I got to say, I definitely think he's going to break it next year. And I'm going to go over mm-hmm. your five. I think it's going to be at least six this year. What about you, EJ? All right, I'm going to I'm going to go over both. Yeah, I'm going to go seven for this year. Seven 300-yard games, a little less than half. That does not seem to be a stretch with current trends in the NFL or his capability. Again, staying healthy, I'd say seven. 
Uh, and okay, he's got uh, f- how many has he got now? He's got he's five. Got five, seven would be twelve. Uh, yeah, he would break it next year for sure. Easily, he'd only need four. So, um, yeah, I would say uh, if he only needed four, I would say first half of next year. Okay, we're gonna bring you on next year, Jonathan, when he breaks the career 300 yard passing game record. <laughs> <laughs> just you know a uh, little little word of warning here jay wood um jeff's got a real thing for rubbing your nose in it if you lose a bet or or say bomb a fantasy draft for defense um i, I have a little experience in that area you know I, I have to say we didn't even follow up with that on the show and i'll just take that opportunity since you led me in we put up a poll <laughs> after we did our fantasy draft for our secondaries and i have to say um i had i think something like 80% of the vote and yeah it, and I put two I put two other like options one of them was like um yeah but what about Chris Conti and that got a few votes and then I <laughs> then I put the like oh I can't decide they both did a good job and basically EJ's team tied with those with the other two, two alternate options, options? yeah right and and I just I actually think you should be really proud because you got at least like 25 members of the Snyder family to go on and vote for you and that's really great that that many people came to your defense and showed your support because I expected I expected it to be 90. Well, it was 12 and they voted twice. Okay, okay, that's well, that's still fair. <laughs> Two devices. No, I think it was Tony Parrish. I, I I honestly think Tony Parrish. Right, Tony Parrish was my was my Achilles heel. If I'd, if I'd pick Mike Brown just for name recognition, if I had Mike Brown and Eddie Jackson with Kyle Fuller, I think I could have overcome. I I could have come closer to Peanut Tone, but I don't think I would have won. But That's probably I think I it was Tony been. Parrish. I've thought about this a lot. You can tell. Uh, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's, talk about, um, let's talk about a member of the secondary, actually, because I want to talk about Eddie Jackson. Uh, you do? I do. You know how much I love Eddie Jackson. So I do too. These defensive touchdowns are incredibly, you know, they're impossible to predict. So, you know, this is a conversation that's just for fun. But the record, the team record for total defensive defensive touchdowns is nine. Peanut Tillman owns that. Eight of those are interception returns from touchdowns from Tillman. That's also a team record. Mike Brown owns the team record for most fumble returns for touchdown with three. Eddie Jackson, who's played two years, already has two fumble return touchdowns and three interception return touchdowns. So for a five total. So this guy is already on pace to break this fumble return touchdown and interception return touchdown in his first contract. So my question is, do you guys think he's going to get this record? And when do you think this could happen? Yeah, but uh, I'm just looking at Jay Wood's eyes getting really big thinking about trying to figure out the probability of betting on fumbles. Um, I betting on fumbles is a fool's errand, but look, he only needs one more. He's always around the ball. The chance that he picks one up and runs it back in the next year or two is pretty decent, actually, much higher than most other players in the NFL. So he's at least going to tie it in the next year or two. Is it possible he breaks it? It is. It completely comes down to good old how the cookie crumbles, or in this case, how the NFL football bounces, right? If it bounces his way, he could break it this year. If it bounces away from him, it might take him two or three years. But he's going to break that record because the Bears are going to, you know, unless something terrible happens, are going to keep him around. He's always around the ball. Like you said, he's created an incredible number um, of positive plays on takeaways for the defense already. The interception record, look, he's got to play a little bit more. He's, you know, he's got three. We're talking about eight. Um, That that could take a while. That could take another three seasons, again, depending on, because he can pick off a lot of balls, but does he run them back? That's a, that's an incredibly dynamic equation. Um, the fumble thing probably happens in the next two years. The interception record, if he signs a second contract for sure, I'd say he'd do that in his first contract. Hey, could happen, but that's pretty serendipitous. Yeah, what he said. Um, 
I'll add to that that Eddie Jackson also had a sixth t- re- uh, defensive return touchdown taken away by a Khalil Mack offsides last year. So that's, that's true. pretty ding, remarkable. Ding. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say it's more a matter of when, not if, and like three years or so down the road sounds about right for the getting Tillman's record. I also think that's amazing that two years in, we're talking about this being basically a foregone conclusion. When you consider the defensive history of this franchise, this is like the opposite of the passing records. Like this is incredible. <laughs> <It> absolutely is. <laughs> uh, it's just, he, he's just so natural with the ball in his hands and just, he's just one of those guys that's just so dynamic. And th- I'm thinking about that pick six he had against the lions where he just jumped that route. And it was just, it just those you can't teach. I mean, that's just instinct. No, the thing that amazing. sets Jackson apart and and has since about his middle of his career at Alabama, when he really sort of ascended in that defense, is instinct. He's not the most physically gifted safety. Now he's a very good athlete. Let's let's not sell him short. He's playing in the NFL. He played corner at Alabama. He has a lot of skills. But is he the fastest or the tallest or the longest? The answer is no. But does he anticipate at a level that I'll say is a Hall of Fame level? I mean, if I had to pose the question to you guys, who's the best anticipator you've ever seen on an NFL football field? What would you say? Not not including Mr. Jackson. Who would Ed you Reed. Say? Yep. Ed Reed. And yeah, Ed Reed. Right. right? right. The guy, in terms of, again, not being a tremendous athlete, Reed's athletic scores were not tremendous, but what set him apart is he knew what was happening. And the greatest film I've ever seen on that was from Bill Belichick breaking down some Patriots versus Ravens film and saying, look at this, look what he does here. You know, possibly the greatest coach of all time going, this guy gets it. And Jackson is not yet to that level, but he's shown flashes of Ed Reed-like anticipation, and that makes you look so much faster. That's why he's around all those balls, is because he takes off half a step before everybody else, and he's fast enough. You know, he's equally as fast as the rest of them, but he leaves sooner. It's like a half-second head start in a 100-yard dash. I think it speaks volumes that uh, when Pagano, who coached Reed, showed up, he made that comparison of Jackson to Reed, and Reed himself has made that comparison as well. Excellent point. And I I think the video that you're talking about, EJ, I believe that's connected to this story where Ed Reed basically played a coverage wrong one week, and then the next week, because he put it on film, he basically deked Peyton Manning to throw a ball that – Manning obviously did not want to do and it, because he had shown the, the coverage, the wrong coverage the week before and he got an interception off Manning off of it. And I think it might have been Belichick that was breaking down. Like this, he'd, he set this up. Like he did this on purpose so that he could the next week. And so I guess what I'm saying is if Eddie Jackson can incorporate that level, that next level of the mind games into his, into his play, I mean, you know, we are talking about a guy that has this capability of, of taking it to that Ed Reed level, which is so much fun. And the other thing is he's, he's now playing behind, you know, let's be completely honest. Khalil Mack is on a hall of fame trajectory uh, with very little doubt. And that guy causes enough disruption on his own. Forget Hicks or Goldman or Floyd or Nichols or anybody else. Right. Mack by himself is, is warranting double and triple teams. And it, don't, don't tell me that opposing quarterbacks aren't a half a hitch quicker to try and get the ball out, right? And Jackson's just sitting back there, you know, loving that, right? Oh, Khalil's going to go mess this guy up, and I'm going to catch the duck. Well, what an incredible segue. EJ does it again, because the next guy I wanted to talk about was none other than Khalil Mack. And I want to talk about the single-season sack record uh, for the Bears, which is Richard Dent's. Richard Dent basically owns the top five uh, for the Bears uh, single season records. And of course, the stat started in 1982, so it doesn't go back to, you know, Atkins or any of these other like really great defensive ends that would have racked up huge numbers. But Dent owns the record at 17 and a half. He set that in 1984. He owns four of the top five. Um, the fifth season is actually Max's first season here last year. Um, and it's a three-way tied for third with Dent and Dent, and and so that twelve and a half is uh, is is uh, good enough for a top five for a single season. The Bears and Mac basically did that 
in 12 healthy games. That I keep talking about Mac played 12 healthy games. He got injured in the Miami game. He obviously was not himself in that New England game, and then he took off the next two AFC East opponents. And so it does not seem unreasonable to me that he is going to hunt for that team record of 17 and a half. And I'm willing to go out and say that he's going to break it this year. Where are you guys at on that? Yeah, I don't know I'll... for sure if it'll be this year, but I would think he gets it at some point. Like you said last year, uh, 12 games, 12.5 sacks, so slightly over a sack per game, just like 17.5. And remember last year he showed up the week of the first game and was like dominated the first half and then like disappeared in the second half because he was gassed and didn't know the defense yet. He gets the full offseason in training camp this year. I think he's going to hit the ground running. Yeah, the other the other piece of that is Pagano, right? Pagano's calling card is I'm bringing it. Can you stop it? Right? He's he's bringing heat. He is not Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio is very typically going to rush four and not blitz. His blitz percentage was one of the lowest in the NFL. Um, Pagano is not that guy. You look when he took over the Ravens defense. He had Terrell Suggs, and Terrell Suggs went from a yeah, he's a pretty good player to oh my god, Terrell Suggs possible MVP candidate. Um, I'm of the opinion that Khalil Mack is a greater player than Terrell Suggs at his peak, and. Pagano is going to bring him and he's also going to bring Hicks and he's going to bring Buster screen and he's going to bring everybody. He's going to bring the house and you know, it's going to look very reminiscent of some 46 stuff. You're going to see a lot of people in the backfield and you know, Mac's going to clean a lot of that up. He's a great athlete. He's incredibly powerful. He's very skilled. Um, he's going to be there. So the chances for him to clean up the messes on those broken egg scrambles are pretty darn good. Yeah. I actually have down here. One of the things I wanted to talk about and you are leading me in once again, perfectly uh, the league record, for most sacks in a single season by a team is 72 by the Bears, 1984. At one point last year, the Bears were actually on pace to match that. I can't remember what I was tracking, and I can't remember what game they sort of fell off that pace, probably when Matt got hurt, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, Pagano is going to be more aggressive. Bears fans are going to love this guy by about second quarter against the Green Bay uh, on opening night when he starts bringing the heat. 72 is a lot. That's a different era. They would drop back and hold the ball a lot longer. They didn't have any answer for the 46 defense. It really, It's one of those records that seems untouchable, but I'm curious if you think that there's any chance the Bears could come close to that in 2019. I think it all depends on the start. I I would say no. Just off first blush, I'd say no for all the reasons you said. There's so many three-step drops, quick releases. It's much harder to get sacks. Um, offenses are fully aware of how detrimental sacks are to their progress. They are the explosive play for the defense, and, and they'll try a lot to avoid them. Um, the The only way I could see that happening is if they started incredibly hot, and that's not likely with a brand-new defensive coordinator because there's going to be an adjustment period there too. If they came out and racked up five, six, seven in the first you know, three games apiece and got on a roll... Maybe, but I don't, I think the odds are against that. So I would say it's unlikely. Yeah, I'm going to be even more firm than that and say no shot whatsoever. Um, Like you guys have both said, offenses have um, adapted a lot since that era. Uh, I just looked it up over the last five years. No team has had more than 56, which is a full sack per game short of 72. I just don't see anybody being that far out of the norm. And I don't either with some of the quarterbacks that we're going to face this year that are traditionally very good at avoiding sacks. So if we had a stack schedule with a lot of rookie quarterbacks or guys that like to hold on to the ball, I might, might want to try to make the argument. I do think the Bears are going to be more aggressive. I do think they're going to be protecting leads more consistently. And so that generally leads to more sacks. So maybe things look fun for a while. But 72 so many. That, that defense from 84 to 86 was so dominant statistically and obviously um that's why they're super famous but all right well i had to at least 
uh, see if I could tempt either of you into making a crazy <laughs> call like that. I want to go back to David Montgomery. Uh, you know, he's not going to break uh, any of Peyton's records or anything, but there is one record, and that's Rushy, uh, Rushy? Rushing Rushy. Rookie, Rushy. I've already finished my beer. Um, rookie rushing yeah, yards. Too. Now, believe it or not, that's actually Jordan Howard's record in 2016. He got 1,313 yards as a rookie. Montgomery have a shot at that one? I don't believe so, and it's not because he's not physically talented. Jonathan talked about him at the at the top of the podcast. He's very talented. Uh, the line in front of him is extremely talented. We talked about that. The bottom line is there's just too many other weapons, and Nagy schemes so much diversity into the offense that that would require a number of touches out of a guy like Montgomery that I don't think he's going to reach. I don't think he can reach. If he does reach it, it's almost a failure. It means there's too much concentration on one player when you have the diversity of the receiver core, Tariq Cohen, the tight ends. There's just so many targets, and there's only one ball. I don't think he's going to get enough touches, regardless of his efficiency, to get to that total. And if he did, I'd almost be a little bit disappointed. Yeah, I agree here again. Um, I've got some numbers to throw with this that I worked up. You gave me a bit of prep time for this one yesterday. Um, So uh, even if he averaged five yards per carry, which only two running backs with 200 carries did last year, so very difficult to do in the NFL, he would need 262 carries, which is 12 more than Howard had last year. And they brought in Mike Davis, who's going to eat some touches. So I just don't see him getting enough touches. If you want to look for the glimmer of, well, maybe it could happen, uh, there's been a lot of comparisons between David Montgomery and Kareem Hunt. Um, in his rookie season, Kareem Hunt finished with 1327 rushing yards. So right in that ball right in that ballpark. Real close. So theoretically possible, but he kind of took over the backfield there. He didn't have a Tariq Cohen to share the ball with. What do you think is a is a pretty good projection for his rookie year? And I I'd be I would take both rushing yards and yards from scrimmage. I would guess he probably ends up somewhere around 200-ish carries, which figure maybe four and a half yards per carry, so about like 900-ish rushing yards, give or take. Maybe three to 400 receiving yards. Seems like a reasonable, moderately optimistic projection to me. <laughs> so that's 30, 35 catches? Is that, what, is that about what that is? Sure, somewhere in that ballpark, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'd go with right about... I'd skew the sliders a little bit on that one i'd say you know right around a thousand yards rushing um the balance of receiving comes down i'd say safely 250 if he has a really good receiving year i'd say 300 but i'd say you know probably thousand yards rushing 250 receiving yeah 1250 from scrimmage so if we set the over under at 999 and a half for rushing yards ej's going over jonathan's going under I think I'm going to go over. I think he's going to finish with like 1,050 rushing yards or something like that. So and probably won't even come close to Howard's record, but that's fine. I think he can still have a pretty successful year without touching any sort of rookie rushing record. I got two more for you guys. Um, most offensive touchdowns scored. Believe it or not, this record was set in 1941. Ugh, 56. It's a big number. <laughs> Uh, Sid Luckman killing it, but uh, 56 offensive touchdowns, and that was just in 11 games in 1941. For us, that's ridiculous. It really is. They just completely destroyed the league. Uh, for us in 2019, over a 16 game season, that's three and a half per game pace. You think this one's in play, Jonathan? What was it? 56 touchdowns. 56 yeah, 56 TDs. That's tough, and there were three teams in the NFL that topped that last year, and nobody else really came all that close. Um, So the Bears would have to be like one of the best offenses in the NFL, and I I don't know if they'll be quite at that level, so I'm going to say no. All right. 1941 record stands for another year. Uh, How about the most points scored? 
456 in 1985. So this would be defensive points as well. Ah. Uh. So what would that be per game? A little under 30? Yeah, that one seems... Uh, 28.5, yeah. That seems manageable. The Bears actually scored I mean, 421 the... last year. Yeah, so basically like adding an extra field goal per game, that seems pretty reasonable. Is that a yeah, shot? That they for sure will, but... Yeah, with offensive efficiency, I could see that coming together pretty cleanly. I'm with I'm with Jay. Would they have a shot at that one? I agree. I think that, that, that that's a... That's a pretty good record to break while we have you on, Jonathan. We need you to give us a record prediction and what you think this season's going to be. I hate record predictions because there's always so many close games where a bounce either way. Um, It's really hard to go like 12 and 4 again. I ran the numbers on that earlier this year and there are like four or five teams in the NFL every year that win 12 plus games. So I'll say like 11 and 5. Um, slightly worse record, but I think that they will be better prepared to compete in the playoffs with a more balanced team overall. Um, honestly, I think to me, they and Philadelphia are the two best teams in the NFL and have the best shot at the Super Bowl. But in a single elimination tournament and in a sport where injuries and attrition play such a big role, who knows? But I think they've got a heck of a shot at it this year. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, we always wrap up by talking about um, the beers that we drank, and I will start off by saying that uh, while I'm not much of a, I'm certainly not an IPA guy because I don't like that bitterness, the the bitterness units. But a lot of the pale ales, they are able to pull that uh, some of that hoppy flavor without getting the bitterness by dry hopping. And I don't know if this is dry hopped or not, but it certainly had a lot of those, uh, you know, those those flavors that you get from the hops with the citrus, and it was actually really good. And the I looked it up; the bitterness units were only thirty six. So I think I can handle when it just says pale ale. I think it's when it says India pale ale is when I <laughs> run off the rails and I just can't take it. But I, I was okay with that. I would drink in the summer. Need something a little lighter. I would drink more of those. EJ, what about you? Oh, well, I'm stunned. Firstly, uh, pleased beyond belief, but stunned, um, and and that's awesome. Um, and yes, there's a difference between IPA and just PA, but um, we'll, we'll get into that at camp. We'll we'll do a little schooling. Um, I'm uh, incredibly and pleasantly surprised also by this. I've never had anything from Paradise Creek Brewery. Um, this Cougar Kolsch was outstanding. Um, really really good i probably drank it a little bit faster than i might have otherwise um had a little bit more maltiness than your classic kolsch kolsch tends to be a little bit more towards a classic german style uh clean quite hoppy a little bit bitter um this had a little bit more malt to it darker flavor um a little warmness and roundness to it a little bit almost more sugar to it um which really balanced out that traditional kind of really crisp and and bitter cold flavor and it was i would i thinking about going back and buying another one it's it was really really good um great discovery uh can't recommend it highly enough one of my favorite cultures jonathan how's that shandy it was delicious i am not a beer aficionado i mean i like beer i just kind of take whatever's offered to me usually so I like the lemonade, gives it a little bit more refreshing, sweetens it up a bit. It was good. Well, I think you could try a pale ale and see what you think, because I'm, <laughs> I'm converted as of tonight, and so maybe we can bring you along for the ride. Well, Jonathan, I want to thank you a, a, just a ton for coming on, and I want to give you an opportunity to let everybody know, if they're not already following you, what you have coming out, where they can find your stuff, uh, where they should be following your stuff at Twitter, all that stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a blast. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Jonathan underscore Wood One. And you can check out my writing at DeBear's blog. Uh, I've got some stuff coming up every week here through training camp looking at uh, historical comparables for the 2018 Bears and how teams followed that up the next year to look at if uh, regression seems likely incoming based on history or not uh, from a variety of perspectives. So check it out. So good. So happy to have you on. So much fun. 
Um, can't wait. Are you going to come to training camp? Yeah, I'm hoping to be there on the first Saturday and maybe once or twice more. Yes, we're going to be there 27, 28, and 29, first three practices. Uh, we'll be there with Robert Schmitz for renting a house, so we'll absolutely have to hook up, do this again. We're going to be doing live reaction podcasts every day. Um, whether or not you want to be part of that, you are absolutely invited to the barbecue, and um, we'd love to do that. But uh, follow the podcast at Bears Over Beers on Twitter. You can follow Jeff at Gridironborn, me at the Draftsman FB, as in football. Again, we're going to be at training camp this year. We've got some stuff coming up, uh, some things in the works for making that happen. Um, in the meantime, we've got more interviews coming up this summer. Uh, leading up, we basically don't have a dry season, which is pretty awesome. So keep following, keep listening. Thanks for all the comments. Interact with us on Windy City Gridiron. And until then, bear down. <laughs>